Most of us enjoy and appreciate God's amazing creation of animals, and we're required in Scripture to take good care of them. But good stewardship can turn into mismanagement and twisted thinking when evolution becomes a part of the picture. Man is not to distort the creation, this handiwork of God. It has great value to a creationist. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Proverbs 12.10 says, A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. God has given man dominion over all of his creation, and we're commanded to be wise stewards of it. But what happens when some evolutionists try to put animals on the same level as us? Join us for the next 15 minutes as we discuss the animal rights movement and discover just how dangerous it can be for both humans and animals. So many times, Christians are misunderstood and accused of being wasteful and destructive when they stand up against animal rights and extreme environmental views. However, ICR President Dr. John Morris says God's plan is always the best plan. God created the animals, each kind, after their kind, it says, and then he created humans in his image. But then he placed Adam in charge of the creation. The dominion mandate is given both in Genesis 1 and 2 and then repeated to Noah after the flood, that man has the authority and the responsibility to take care of God's creation, to till the garden and to name the animals. This implies a careful study of the creation and to apply it carefully and wisely. It also implies that man is not to distort and to mar the creation, this handiwork of God. We look at creation as God's handiwork, and it has great value to a creationist. Marvin Lubinow is professor of theology and Bible science at Southern California Bible College and Seminary. We Christians should be the very finest environmentalists in the best sense of the term. Animals are a part of God's creation, and they were created for our use, but not for our abuse. And so, too often, we may give the impression that because we feel that we're superior to the animals, that therefore we can use them uh, indiscriminately and abuse them. And that's the last thing that a creationist would want. So what's the difference between the creationist's biblical view of taking care of animals and the beliefs of animal rights activists? The animal rights movement is just a part of a large fabric being woven today on the part of those who are violently opposed to God his word, the uh, book of Genesis, the doctrine of creation, and the uniqueness of humans. Because it means that humans would rather be related to the animals than be related to God. They would rather deny the uniqueness that God has created us in and be uh, brothers to the animals than to be related to God. And this is an indication of the extreme hatred that man has for God. Dr. Morris. You know, it almost goes without saying that the concept of evolution is at the core of this thought, uh, that all of animals come from a common ancestor, that we ourselves are animals, and just maybe a more recently evolved animal, but with no more basic rights than other animals. This extension of human rights to animals, um, it's an evolutionary way of thinking. It's a wrong way of thinking. Dan Breeding is an animal trainer and founder of an educational ministry called Creatures of Creation. Animal rights.
rights and evolution go hand in hand, but the amazing thing about it is animal rights folks that claim to be animal rights advocates don't even really know what it means to be an animal rights advocate. Most of the time, they're just blindly giving money to these organizations because they're emotionally driven. I mean, who doesn't love animals? There's more people that love animals that don't. And Breeding says people who send money to many of the groups claiming to help animals are being taken advantage of. These animal rights organizations, they're not saving any animals. They're not supporting any sanctuaries such as mine. They're not out there buying up land to preserve it with all these literally millions of dollars a year are coming into these organizations. And they're not utilizing it to do what they say. All they're doing is pushing their domestic terrorism, their propaganda, holding all these big demonstrations. So what is domestic or environmental terrorism all about? Periodically, you have the animal rights extremists breaking into facilities, whether they may be zoos or private sanctuaries or research facilities, and most of the time they just let the animals out and liberate them. And sometimes it goes further than that. Sometimes they set fires and things like that. Unfortunately, this kind of activity does not help the animals. See, the problem is these animal rights people that are doing this kind of thing are giving the animals a death sentence. You're talking about domesticated animals most of the time. You know, what are these animals going to do? They don't have any survival um, instincts, and what they do have will end up getting them killed because they're going to go in and start getting wild in neighborhoods and things like that. I mean, it's just a death sentence to let captive raised animals out into the wild. However, animals aren't the only ones that are harmed by environmental terrorism. You're putting people in danger, and mainly children, because, you know, animals, when they start starving or are out there looking for food, they become very opportunistic. All wild animals are opportunistic. If they see an opportunity for a meal, they're going to take it. And there's even more danger at hand when a wild animal has been released. When you raise an exotic or wild animal in captivity, you're training them to associate people with food. Like my alligator, for instance. If I let my alligator go out in the wild now, my seven-foot alligator, guess what? He's the most dangerous alligator out there because he has no fear of people. He associates people with food, and that's why so many people get attacked by alligators here in Florida. People um, think it's a novelty to go out in their backyard and throw some raw chicken at some alligators that are out in their lake, you know, in their gated community. Then those alligators, you're essentially training them to associate people with food. But animal rights activists still insist that animals should be treated the same as people. Professor Lubenow. The uh, campaign or the uh, the program of the animal rights people, at least one of the most popular organizations, PETA, is uh, no animals for pets, no animals for food, no animals for clothing, no animals for medical research, virtually no use of animals for any purpose, and that is very contrary to what God has uh, has stated. Dan Breeding. These people don't believe that animals should be in captivity at all. Most of these organizations don't even believe you should have dog or cats. It's a really sad thing. In fact, many of these animal rights groups are calling for human rights for the great apes, such as chimps, gorillas, and orangutans. Dr. Morris. Those that advocate for human rights for apes, they admit when you get them in a, 
an honest moment to say, well, there's no reason not to extend it to other monkeys then and to other rodents. Animal, human rights for rats? I mean, cut me some slack, but then why not butterflies and, and trees? You see where this goes. If evolution is true, where do you stop? There's nothing special about humans. And it would be extended to, to all the, even insects. Human rights for insects? I don't think so. It seems confusing that so-called animal rights activists are also evolutionists. Dr. Morris explains. Evolution is based on this concept of survival of the fittest and might makes right, that only the, the most fit survive. But if that's the case, then why not kill off the other animals? And why not uh, use the environment for your own good? To an evolutionary mentality, it seems like the environmental concept is illogical. It doesn't follow from this natural selection, the survival of the fittest mentality. Dan Breeding. The amazing thing, the, the thing that really knocks me out with the animal rights folks is here they are, they want to save all these animals and talk about doing stuff to um, help them out. Meanwhile, they believe in evolution. Well, if you believe in evolution, why are you worried about endangered species, for one? Because if you believe in evolution, the survival of the fittest, which really means whoever can pass on their genes, then why, when these animals are going extinct, are you worried about them? And then the correlation here with what really makes me nuts, and most of us nuts, is that these same people, nine times out of ten, are pro-abortion. What's up with that? They would rather um, save the animals and the cows than they would a baby. It just goes to show that, you know, we, since sin entered the world, we are in a constant state of degradation. Even though we live in a fallen world and each of us has sinned, mankind is still special to the Creator. Professor Lubinow. God has created humans absolutely unique from animals. Biologically, there are many similarities. But the one thing that we have that is absolutely unique to us as humans is that we are created in the image of God. But we are constantly hearing man described as a mammal. Is this an out-of-place statement? Dr. Morris. You know, here at the Institute for Creation Research, we've advocated that people not include man in the classification of mammals. Yeah, we have hair, we, you know, we have the certain features that are categorized as mammal, but in a real sense... Man is not a mammal. Man is created in the image of God. Mammals were created after their kind, quite distinct from the image of God. So man is not, biblically, a mammal. And because we are created in God's image, he allows us to communicate with him in a special way. Professor Lubinow. As an illustration, uh, my cat Abby. When uh, Abby scratches the door, I let her in and I say, Hi, Abby. And she meows. And we humans tend to uh, read into animal behavior our own emotions. And I assume that she's saying, hi, Marv, but I don't know that. She might be just be saying, what took you so long to answer the door? <laughs> in other words, I cannot relate to my cat, but in very elementary ways. I have no idea what's going on in her mind. Uh, we don't know what's going on in the mind of a dog. But we know what's going on in the mind of God. We can relate to God because of his word, through prayer, and so on. Our minds 
can be in tune with God's and His mind is in tune with ours because of the way we're created. However, we cannot commune with God as long as sin separates us from Him. We fell into sin through Adam's sin and uh, God has provided through Jesus Christ redemption. This redemption is not for the animals, but it is for you and me. Through Christ's death on the cross and His shed blood, we can obtain forgiveness. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So we understand that only man has this desperate need for salvation. Dr. Morris. Keep in mind that it was man that was endued with, with God's image, God's special attributes, or some way reflected in man in such a way that he could call us his image. This is not shared by the animals. And keep in mind that when Jesus Christ came, he came as a man to live and die and, and die for mankind so that mankind could be redeemed, their sins could be forgiven. He did not do this for the animals. He did it for man. Man is special. Animals don't have this standing before God, nor do they have it in nature. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.